Our scripture this morning is going to come from probably a familiar story out of Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 46 to the end, 52, Mark chapter 10. If you're using a a blue Bible, don't have your Bible here this morning, page 847, and I want to read the story about blind Bartimaeus, but I want to include in it the part of the story of the rich young ruler, which is also found in the same passage. As you make your way there, we had an event uh, we hosted Mary C. Williams, which is the elementary school that we help serve uh, just down the road on Thursday, signing, uh, getting parents and kids here to sign up for the classes. And so it was a big success. We were just trying to help them out, and they were grateful to be here. And I stopped by just to say hello and be supportive. And then when I walked out the door, there were a couple of young children, elementary age, standing outside. And I walk by, I don't, I don't know them, I don't know if they come to our tutoring program, um, but one girl, she recognizes me as the pastor, and she's a fifth grader. And so she stops, and she says, hey, I want you to know you have an awesome church. And I thought, wow. I mean, the courage for a fifth grade girl to stop me, you know, could be intimidating to say that. So I'm glad to be back preaching at an awesome church uh, this morning. Um, And so when we look, as we look at Mark chapter 10, and we come to our reading this morning, I want to put us all in the same mindset. And, And this mindset might be an adjustment for a few of you. And that is when we engage God's word, I want to think about it as an encounter rather than information. Now, I'm more of an information guy. I come in, I need some tools, I got my tool belt on, Paul, give me a nice little Christian tool, I got it down, next time I need it, I pull it out. And there's nothing really bad about that, but it's really not meant just to be that. It's meant to be a living encounter with Jesus. So as we read these stories, you need to put yourself in the story and What would you feel like? Who might you relate to? What bothers you about what's being said? What questions do you have as you think about the story? So let's stand and we'll read together these two stories out of Mark chapter 10. We'll begin with the rich young ruler, verse 17. And Jesus was setting out on his journey. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho, this is now verse 46, with his disciples, 
and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go away, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed Jesus on the way. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect together on God's Word. Every August, I take one week uh, to just focus on my sermons for the coming ministry year. So I think of it as sort of September to June 1st. And when I'm done with that week, I have every title and every text for every sermon I'm going to deliver in the next nine months. And so I did that a couple of weeks ago on my sabbatical, and I want to give you an idea of where we're going in these sermons for this year. Uh, in my last, my last sermon, uh, before my sabbatical on June 13th, I used an illustration that's an illustration that had been stuck in my mind for some time and just continues to sort of roll around. And some of you will remember it. It's about a guy named Felix Bumgarner. Remember this guy who jumped from basically what looked like a space capsule, maybe eight or nine years ago. He went up in this little capsule, think of a balloon, carrying you way up, 24 miles up into the atmosphere, and trying to break some world records. He's in this little space capsule, and he's in what looks like a space suit, because when you get 24 miles up in the air, you need a space suit. And he stands at the edge of the capsule, and he just jumps off. It makes me nervous when I just watch it on the video. I mean, my feet start hurting just watching this guy do it. And while he was falling, he reached the speed of 843 miles per hour. I'm just trying to imagine going that fast. I wasn't even sure the human body could withstand something like that. 
and their biggest concern, him and his sort of ground team that was helping him in this sort of daredevil action, was that, as, as you might imagine, with the friction, the wind speed, he would get into a spin. Think about putting your arm out of the window at 70 miles an hour. What if you put your arm out the window at 843 miles an hour? And if you got into a spin, it, it could become a deadly spin and you could black out. And my concern when I was thinking about this story and what I shared with you the last time I was here was that the culture is moving so fast. The world is moving so fast. The media sends us so much information. There's so much information to process on your phone every day that many of us wake up and before we get out of bed, we reach for a little black box And we put it in front of our face and we're processing all the information that happened overnight. And it just speeds up our internal lives at such a pace that it's possible, it's very possible to get into a spin. It's very possible to black out. And you and I could be spinning and blacked out and not know it. We're still moving really rapidly, so we wouldn't think we've blacked out, but really we've blacked out to reality. We don't really understand reality because we've been captured by the speed of the culture. If you watch the video, you see the tension as he's falling because Felix does get in a spin, and they call out to him, Felix, Felix. And I want you to hear God calling out to you maybe this morning. Paul. Paul, you might might be in a spin. What wakes people up is a life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to call us out of these deadly spins of the world and and to come back into a stable reunion with God. So I want to spend the year just staring at Jesus. That's what I want to do. And we're going to do that by looking at the book of Luke. It will start in chapter 4 and we'll just see how far we go. I think we'll get to chapter 9 by the time we get to May. We'll see. But prior to starting Luke chapter 4 in a few weeks... I want to ask a preliminary question. So you might think of this as the appetizer to Luke. Before we stare at Jesus, I want to ask this question over and over for the next four or five weeks. And that question is, where are you? Before we look out and try to see Jesus and hear Jesus, it's important to to ask ourselves, well, where am I? You recall the very first thing God said, do you not, to Adam and Eve? Genesis chapter 3, after the fall. He comes back into the garden. He's ready for his afternoon walk with his his sort of co-partners in creation. And they've they've fallen. They've decided to move their own direction. And remember what what God says? Adam, where are you? See, it's not that, at, that God doesn't know where Adam is, like, wow, he's awesome at hide-and-seek in the garden, I can't find him. No, Adam has no idea where he is. 
Adam and Eve have gotten into a deadly spin. They've blacked out. And God wants to ask them, do you understand the position you've put yourself in? Do you understand the spin that you're in? Because it's going to be hard to see me if you don't understand where you are. So the question is going to be today and the next few weeks, where are you? There's a popular song by a female singer called, she goes by the name Nightbird. You know this? She was on America's Got Talent. She, her song um, blew up. It's called It's Okay. It's a really a great story. It's worth going to watch later if you don't know about her. And in this, in this song, It's Okay, she says this, I said I knew myself, but I guess I lied. See, I, I believed I knew myself. I told people I knew myself. I lived as if I knew myself, but I lied to myself. I found out that I was just lying to myself. She goes on with a chorus. It's okay if you're lost. We're all a little lost. And I would say, that's right. It's okay if you're lost. It's not okay to be lost and not know it. That's what's not okay. So where are you? It's okay to say I'm lost. We're all a little lost. The problem is if you say I'm okay and you're lost, that's when you are really, really lost. You don't understand the spin you're in. So my question comes back to where are you? Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Let's just re-engage. The disciples, a great crowd of people who are on their way to Jerusalem because it's Passover. They come to sort of the outlier town. Think of Leland. And they're coming through Jericho. Jericho's 15 miles away. They're walking through Jericho and they're leaving Jericho on their way up 3,000 feet to Jerusalem. He's with his disciples, he was with a great crowd, and one man gets a name, Bartimaeus, he's blind, he lives in Jericho. He's sitting by the wayside, and somehow he hears, verse 47, that Jesus of Nazareth, he's, he's passing by. So he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And some part of this great crowd, we don't know if it was the disciples or other people or both, they turn and look at Bartimaeus and say, shut up. Be quiet. I just want to know how Bartimaeus felt about that. I want to know what's going through the mind of the follower of Jesus who would turn to this man and say that. See, this is how you engage. You ask yourself these kinds of questions. But one, one thing you're going to love about Bartimaeus, he's not deterred. He cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. People bump in behind him because he stopped. Call him. 
The same people who said shut up say, hey, he's calling you. The blind man throws off his one possession, the cloak, springs up, comes to Jesus, feeling his way there. What do you want me to do for you? Let's just look at these three different groups, Jesus, the crowd, and Bartimaeus. Jesus is making his final trip to Jerusalem. You see in chapter 11, your Bible has headings. It's the triumphal entry. So it's the last week. It's the week before the last week. They're, they're moving with this great crowd because it's also Passover. So thousands of people are making their way up to Jerusalem. They're singing what we would know as the Songs of Ascent. You remember that from the Psalms? There's a little song book inside the Psalms, 120 to 134, and they're like traveling songs. They're pilgrim songs. And you would always sing these when you made your way up to Jerusalem for a festival. So they're very familiar songs. You sing them again. You think about Christmas hymns, Joy to the World. I mean, you just know it because you sing it every year. These are the kinds of songs they're singing. Let me just give you a flavor for what a couple of them say. Psalm 120, this is the very first line of this songbook. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I just want you to picture this great crowd is coming along, and they're singing. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. These are the songs they're singing as they travel up. And what makes Jesus stop? A cry for mercy. I mean, I don't know what was happening at at this moment in the crowd, But imagine that they've walked out of Jerusalem, they've all had breakfast, they're ready for this walk sort of 3,000 feet uphill, it's kind of a slow, hot climb, and they're singing Psalm 130. Hey guys, let's do Psalm 130. And they all start singing how God answered them when they cried out for mercy, and at that time, Bartimaeus, what does he say? Have mercy. That's what makes Jesus stop, is a desperate cry for mercy. What makes Jesus stop outside of Jericho, what makes Jesus stop inside of Christ Community Church, is someone's desperate cry for mercy. Mercy, I need something I can't provide for myself. I need something I don't deserve. So Jesus stops. And then Jesus has a conversation with Bartimaeus. Call him, he comes, and Bartimaeus comes, and then Jesus asks what seems like either a strange question or maybe an inappropriate question to a blind man. What do you want me to do for you? Why would he ask this question? I think it's a way of Jesus asking, Bartimaeus, where are you? Just want you to, I want you to hear me, I want you to articulate to me your condition. 
And he answers, I'm blind. I'm dark. I'm, I'm, in, I'm lost. I'm needy. I need you to bring me into the light. I trust that you can do this. This is the very last miracle in the book of Mark. Why do you think Mark put that right here? Right before the crucifixion. It's a physical reminder of a spiritual reality that everyone needs to see, and that is everyone's blind. Everyone needs to cry for mercy, and the answer to your cry for mercy is he's taken your sin away. That's what Mark wants us to see. You contrast this now with the rich young ruler. Mark purposely puts these two stories side by side in the same chapter so you can compare and contrast. I just want to point out one contrast here. The rich young ruler, he rushes up to Jesus. So we got blind Bartimaeus rushing up to Jesus. we got the rich young ruler rushing up to Jesus. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds again with an odd question. Why do you call me good? Why do you ask that question? I think because Jesus sees that this man has some moral category for good. There's a category in his mind for good people. You ever say, oh, you'll like those people. They're good people. Well, there's good people in this guy's mind, and Jesus is in the good people category. And if we read through the story, what we find out is this man thinks he's in the good people category too. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, you're one of the good guys. And just in a few minutes, I'm going to give you my resume and you're going to open the door and I'm going to be one of the good guys too. See, he's got some moral category for good. He thinks Jesus is in it and he's coming to Jesus not for mercy. He's coming for affirmation. I wonder if there's anybody here that that's what they've done. I mean, I need Jesus to affirm that I'm a pretty good person and I deserve heaven. A lot of people come to Jesus that way. They don't come saying, I'm lost, I'm blind, I'm needy, I need mercy. No, they just come saying, I've done all these good things. Can you just give me the stamp and get me in? See, the rich young ruler, he's lost. And the reason he's not okay is he doesn't know he's lost. Maybe. Maybe like Nightbird, he's just lied to himself. See, it's easy to lie when you answer the question, where are you? The great crowd... These are the people that you all want to just kick in the shin the whole time. Why why did Jesus wait for the second cry to stop? Did you notice that? Bartimaeus cries out for mercy. Then the crowd says, shut up. And then he cries out again, and then Jesus stops. Why doesn't Jesus stop on the first time? Well, maybe he didn't hear him. I mean, I don't know. This is, I'm just asking. This is how I encounter this, this text. Maybe he wants to see if Bartimaeus has a real sense of urgency and importance. It's not sort of a fly-by-night, hey, can you save me? But then when you go by, just, you know, I'm not interested. 
Maybe, maybe it's a test for the crowd. It's a test for the religious people. Hey, I'm going to stop, Jesus is thinking, but I want to know if anyone following me who's singing a song about mercy, are they going to stop? Will anyone following me stop and say, I can bring you to the one who can give you mercy? And what's the answer to that question in this story? Sadly, none of them did. So Jesus stops. The religious people in this story, the crowd, they're completely wrong about who Jesus is interested in. In fact, they act the opposite of Jesus. Do you see that? They, they, they're shut up, and Jesus is, call him. These are the people who are following Jesus. In this story, who's, who's blacked out? It's not Jesus. It's not Bartimaeus. He knows he's in a spin, and he hadn't blacked out yet because he's crying for mercy. If I don't, if I don't get out of this somehow, if God doesn't come in and rescue me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to black out. Who's really blacked out in this? It's the religious people. They think they know how God operates. Of course, he just happens to operate the way they operate. Isn't that how it goes? I know exactly how God thinks because this is the way I think. God told me. Why did God tell you? Because that's what I told myself for this morning when I got up. I mean, this is how we just operate. They're lost, this crowd, and it's not okay because they don't know it. Finally, Bartimaeus. You want to kick the crowd, you want to kiss Bartimaeus. Jesus walks out of Jericho and on some kind of parallel track is Bartimaeus. He's probably slept in an alley near the city gate. He doesn't move around a lot. He wakes up. He's only got one possession. It's his cloak. It's his sole possession. It's also how he collects money. So he grabs his little walking stick and he finds his location, wherever that is, on the side of the road. He spreads out his cloak. He's hoping for money to come in. And he's particularly hoping today is going to be a big day because all these thousands of pilgrims are coming by. So all the beggars are showing up today because they think they're going to get some money. To the world, Bartimaeus is just a shredded piece of humanity on life's highway. And by all outward appearances, he doesn't have any worth. But he is the one person who gets Jesus to stop. That's amazing to me. I love Bartimaeus' sense of urgency. He apparently had heard something about Jesus. Jesus, son of David. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. I mean, this is the third year. Word's gotten around. He knows that Jesus has healed people. And when you read verse 47, you immediately get some t- the feel the tension. And when he heard that Jesus, it was Jesus of Nazareth, 
he began to cry out. I, I heard it was Jesus, and somewhere I hear a bunch of footsteps I can't see. I know he's in this crowd. And he's passing by right now. And if I don't say it loud enough, if I don't act on, on this uh, sense of emergency, he might pass me by. So he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, just whoever could hear, maybe Jesus could get the message. He may never have this chance again. And in case you've been distracted so far this morning and have tuned me out, I want you to tune in. Right now, Jesus is passing by. In the proclamation of this word, he is passing by right now. And he's ready to stop for anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter what you look like, no matter how you compare to anybody else, he's ready for, to stop for anyone who would cry out, have mercy. So no, no matter the distraction of your life, the demands, the disappointments, the worries about your health or wealth, your concerns about restarting school this week or retirement, Jesus is passing by. You may never have this moment again. I don't know. Many years ago, I sat on a little rock wall by a pool at a Young Life camp. Some of you have been there, Windy Gap. It was June, sitting there talking to this guy named Jeff about Jesus. The next summer in June, I sat by his hospital bed as they unplugged him from life support. See, you don't know. I know the June before, Jesus was passing by. And I was trying to get Jeff. I don't know, Jeff, but right now I know he's passing by. Would you cry out for mercy? When we started the church, we were still over at the activity center. And after church, I'm standing by the door, and a little boy, he's four or five years old, he's standing there, he's got his Sunday school, you know, coloring paper. And it's all scribbled on, it's not a piece of art, unless you're his parent, right? Then you're, it's still not a piece of art, but you're obligated to put it on your refrigerator. And so I'm just bending down, hey, how was, you know, church today? What'd you learn on your little piece of paper? The next week, I'm bending down, comforting his parents because he's dead. Died in an accident. See, you don't know. Now, Lord willing, we'll all be here next week. But today, he's passing by. And Bartimaeus isn't going to lose his chance. So he cries out. He cries out. And unfortunately, the very first thing he hears back is silence. Shut up. I wonder if anyone's ever tried to silence you. How that made you feel. You're, you're not worthy to be even heard. Maybe you're crying out for mercy from a God and, and somebody says, that's stupid. I mean, you can't see Jesus. Show me Jesus right now. Or you get into a, a, a university setting and a professor just, you know, he, he just deconstructs everything you knew about Jesus. And he's got a bunch of letters behind his name and it seems reasonable. And he's just bas basically telling you, shut up about the Christian thing. Maybe you have a parent who's hostile to your faith. There's lots of ways you can hear, be silent. 
And this is where you want to kiss Bartimaeus. Cry out all the more. You know you're lost. You know you need mercy. You know you've tried a bunch of things that don't fit into your heart and soul like God would. So keep crying out. Don't let somebody try to silence you. So I love Bartimaeus for crying out, and then I love this visual clue we get to Bartimaeus' total abandonment to Jesus. Verse 50, he throws off his cloak. I mean, why put that in there if you're the writer? I mean, I wouldn't have even noticed it. I wouldn't even thought about it if he hadn't put it in there. He throws off his cloak. Why is that important? That's everything Bartimaeus has. That's why it's important. This protects Bartimaeus. This is a possession for Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus isn't going to allow any possession to keep him from Jesus. He's not going to allow any self-protection to keep him from Jesus. And he's not going back. (laughs) Hey, when I see Jesus, I'm not going back to the cloak. I am throwing it away. Again, a perfect contrast to the rich young ruler. He has a cloak on. Pride and self-sufficiency. Very familiar cloak to me, to some of you all. It reeks with the same foul odor, although he doesn't smell it anymore. It blinds him. It's like it's wrapped around his head. He can't see Jesus. He can't see himself. He's fine with meeting Jesus as long as he can go back to his old life. See, he's not going to throw it off. He's going to bring it with him. It's how many religious people live. They meet Jesus, and it's fine. But then I'm just going to get back to my old way of life. And they think they're okay, and they're not okay. I hope you're not one of those. Where are you? I mean, do you know? Have you lied to yourself? Do you have a cloak that's a possession Something that you can't throw away because really it's not your possession. It possesses you. You can't get rid of it. And it could be wealth. could be a relationship. It could be the need for man's attention, which Olivia talked about here today, living for the the approval of other people. It could be control. It could be anger. Some of you have a cloak of anger. Miserable Bartimaeus throws it all aside. Love it. Love it. He comes to Jesus completely empty, seeking mercy. He leaves completely filled. The rich young ruler comes nearly full, seeking affirmation. He leaves completely empty. possible that the speed of the culture has put you in a spin and you just really need to go home and just ask yourself and ask a friend ask your spouse I mean have I gotten into a spin am I so focused on this thing that I'm just spinning and I'm going super fast but I 
I may have blacked out. It's okay. It is okay to say that. It's great if you say that. I blacked out. What's not okay is to not know it. And go through life thinking you're okay when you're not. What gets you out of that is an encounter with Jesus. That's my hope. It's my prayer for us this year. Let's pray together. Lord, what a, what a text. So much was left on the table that we could have talked about. And I pray that you use this word to reignite the imagination of everyone in here, to help them see themselves, to see you, to be honest with where they are, what may possess their soul, to take a new, fresh look at you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together.